Hello, my name is Dov and this is the Agile Tao with Peter Merrill, who I'm really happy to host. Peter Merrill is the author of a book called The Agile Tao, where he refactored the book of Tao, the, the, the Lao Tzu as it's called, into agility, into a language which is more agile community oriented, a secular, a less mystical. I think every translation that I read brings a lot of the experience of the author into the book. And this one is particularly interesting because the background of Peter comes from the business context, the agile world context. So every time we dive into one poem out of this book, how many poems are there? Remind me. I think at the moment we are at 68. 68. Uh, I think I managed to, to push two poems together uh, a couple of months ago. All right, so, so there's 68 poems, and every time we choose one from another part of the book, there's three parts to this book, and today we dive into one that I adore, out of the ecosystem part, the third part of the book, which is called Fear. So, hello, Peter. We had you before, but can you say hello? I can say hello. How are you going, Dog? I'm going great. And yourself? Uh, I'm going very well as well. It's it's been a very pleasant break. Uh, you know, it's it's nice to take your eyes off of the bottom line every once in a while and let your brain rest, and you start to notice that hey, there's a lot of things that. I've been focusing on that are not as important as I thought they were, and there are things I've been missing that I miss. Happy to supply this break. So, anything you want to say about this poem before we start? Yeah, I guess so. So, this is um, one of these poems where we have sourced verses from a number of the traditional chapters of uh, the Chinese version of the Tao. So, um, We've got some from chapter 38 and some from the first half of uh, 54. But here we have this in uh, chapter 45 in the Agile And this chapter is very difficult to separate from the chapter that comes immediately after. So I think we'll wind up revisiting this one a little bit when we talk about the following Traditionally, they, they kind of go together as a single one. Okay, and what does it talk about? Well, maybe if I start by giving it a read-through, and then we'll, we'll yeah, dissect it. with pleasure. Okay. Uh, chapter 45, Fear. Disrupt nature, and harmony remains. Lose harmony, and trust remains. Break trust and justice remains. Corrupt justice and fear remains. Harmony doesn't inspire fear, but those without it do. It doesn't serve or compromise itself, but those without it will. As trust serves harmony without compromise, justice compromises it to serve it and fear compromises it to serve itself. Mm. 
and I love this one. One of the things I like here is the the clear structure of the poem. Like there's there are poems that are cascading. There's poems that uh, um, talk about a progression, a positive or a negative progression, and this is one of them. So I just love it. Would you like to go through it? Sure. Well, first, can you say a few words in general? What does it say? Well, so this was a challenging one because this is usually the, the start of, um, uh, in the traditional Chinese two-part uh, version of a poem, this is usually the start of part two, which is about uh, day, de, depending on how you should actually pronounce it, and since I don't speak Chinese beyond uh, having some awareness of the pictograms that make up the Chinese. The, the way that this word is traditionally translated into English is as virtue or power. But looking at the way that word gets used in context, it doesn't make an awful lot of sense. Um, and here, we're using the word harmony instead. So it's one of those words that I struggled with for a long time, and this, it's used extensively across the whole book. In context, in English, this was the best word to use. Uh, there are other words that might be useful in this context, peace or grace, but I like to think of this in an agile context as the as attribute of high-performing teams. We talk about teams that have really come together, they've gelled, they've, they've had the XP pop, we used to say. They work so well together, they work as a single organism. That's the the relationship we're trying to represent when we're talking about harmony. So um, we begin with disrupt nature and harmony remains. Well, harmony is uh, an interaction between thought and form. This is uh, uh, something that involves a working relationship between people or between people and different organisms. But it could be that the rest of nature is out of balance. So, for example, right now in Australia, we have terrible fires. So nature has been disrupted. But there are still human ecosystems and natural ecosystems that are in harmony. So disrupt nature and harmony remains. So far, so good? Yes. All right. Lose harmony and trust remains. Now... We have to trust each other to be able to work together. That doesn't mean that we are in a harmonious relationship. It means that despite the fact that we may be out of harmony, we are extending trust to one another, hopefully to be able to establish harmony. Harmony roots in trust. But if we have disrupted nature and we have lost harmony, then trust remains. So then... If we break trust, we start treating each other in an inhumane way, or in a way that um, we're no longer thinking of the other person's best interests. We're thinking of ours. Well, if we have a system of fairness and justice, a, a system that can establish equity, or equitable relationships, that's justice. So break trust and justice remains. We may not be brothers anymore, but 
we can still treat each other in a way that is right and legal. You, we can we can call this process of frameworks. Uh, yes, yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. Yes, justice here is very much in the sense of process of frameworks, where trust. If you've got trust going on, where do you need those things? And then if the trust you have going on leads you into a harmonious relationship, wow. Okay, then then that was the uh, object that was that was what you were intending trust to generate, and then finally, if we're in such a uh, a relationship with everything that's going on, all of the people who are involved in their lives, well, then we might be uh, going back to nature. But in in a Western vernacular, that sounds very uh, hippie and tree huggy. That's not necessarily what we mean by. It. When you say, what do we need these things? I see it a, li- a bit differently. Mm. You still need it as a scaffold. It's, it, you need it less. Yes. When, when you have uh, a harmony, you still have trust. Mm-hmm. And when you have trust, you may still have process. Yes. But the process is less important. The process mm-hmm. is there because we trust each other that the process is the best way for us to function. Mm-hmm. And if we think that it isn't, then we trust each other enough to change it. Often if you have a high-performing small team, they're not really aware of any process. They're just doing what they're doing because that's how they work. So I think it's when that breaks down. And people go, wait a second, we have to have some, let's agree on how, when we're going to be doing things, what we're going to be doing, what are the rules of the game? And that's where justice comes in. To adhere to the rules would be just. Um, so then corrupt justice and fear remains. Uh, once we get to this level, the way that we are interacting is based on concern, entirely concern for self and survival. And um, while we may uh, be acting from our point of view, uh, you know, we want to protect our loved ones, uh, at this point, human behavior loses its ability to um, generate uh, mutually beneficial outcomes. So that leads us to the second stance. Okay, so far? Yes. Harmony doesn't inspire fear. No one's afraid of harmony. But those without it do. Uh, we, We have people talk about terrorists or criminals or home invaders or various kinds of folk. Not only are they not in harmony with us, but they're not in harmony with themselves. There's something that is internally troubled and something that's internally desperate about their situation. And so we're afraid of that. It doesn't serve or compromise itself, but those without it will. We have plenty of people who will tell us that what they're doing is for the greater good is to re-establish harmony. They want wonderful things to happen. They want people to live in in peace and freedom and happiness. Uh, And on that basis, they can do all kinds of dreadful things because it is for the greater good. History is full of people who say those things. And actually, this is where we sort of get into uh, chapter 46. So we'll come back to this point. It doesn't compromise itself. That's a really interesting idea. That... Uh, harmony and integrity are very closely aligned. We think of a person as having great integrity. Well, internally, they are harmonious. If we think of a family as having integrity, then they're behaving in a a way that self-reinforces, that produces a consistently good outcome without anybody thinking about how to produce that outcome. 
and those of us who are fortunate enough to have experiences of loving families with integrity, you know what I mean. If that goes away, um, if it's compromised, it's very difficult to recapture. Um, so harmony naturally stays on the beam. It naturally works. No, no one in a loving, harmonious situation has to go, gee, how do we, how do we protect this? How do we keep it going? It reinforces itself. But those who lack harmony themselves, they're perfectly willing to compromise harmony and they will serve the cause of harmony. They will focus on how do we get this wonderful thing, which is very different to having it and, and unconsciously not worrying about it because, of course, that's the way things work. In, um, in a lot of the work we've been doing, we talk about the Haudenosaunee, uh, in North America. Uh, there's an example of a society who was able to establish first from fear a movement to justice and then from justice a movement to harmony. Uh, the great law of peace is all about how to make that journey real. Now that said, that's not their present state. The way that they are today uh, has a lot of disharmony internally and externally at the same time, huge trust, and of course they're working on trying to re-establish this. So, as trust serves harmony without compromise, we talked about harmony rooting in trust before, justice compromises harmony, compromises it to serve it. We've been looking at this from the point of view of somebody uh, who is perhaps a corrupt person, but the fact is, when we are trying to arbit disputes, we are trying to resolve conflicts, we are willing to compromise harmony in order to serve the greater good, the opportunity to maintain trust, or at least to maintain equity. And fear compromises it to serve itself. And this is really the, the root of ongoing corruption. There are so many situations we can point out around the world today where this is happening. And people who are themselves driven by fear um, then propagate it. A lot of the ideas about um, terrorism are generated by people who are afraid. And once once the limbic system becomes the dominant way of thinking, once once they start behaving in that mode, well, they can stick in it their entire lives. Two things I want to say. One. Unfortunately, I saw a lot of examples which are not that big, meaning not politicians and not, you know, uh, uh, world leaders, mm. but team leads yes. and managers who have, a, in my perception, a very ego-driven motivation to do something mm -hmm. and that instill fear in teams. So uh, just to, to, to get this very wide image into uh, the perspective of mm. the uh, agile transformation world mm. it happens a lot and i think most of transformations that fail have fear there somewhere have some a uh, uh, narrow uh, interest in a, a high level of the hierarchy mm. that uh, tries to manage this 
this dance we call a, a natural transformation. Unfortunately, it goes even beyond uh, transformation in the Agile world. A lot of the way that the Agile industrial complex works is based on fear. Will I be able to get this certificate or not? What will happen to my career if this particular transformation uh, is dominated by that person over there? People build up agendas out of fear that actually wind up destroying their ability to generate a good outcome. So um, the question then is, how do we deal with situations where fear is currently the dominant emotion? It is the way that people view each other. And so we're going to look at that very deeply in the rest of this part of the demo. Ah, so, so this is a teaser for further episodes. A lot of the motivation for the, the rest of part three is exactly this. How do you deal with this? When a, when a tyrant turns up on your doorstep, whether this is at work, uh, in a corporation where you're trying to get a good outcome, whether it's delivery or change, or whether they literally turn up on your doorstep with guns, uh, you have no choice but to find a way to respond. How do you respond in such a way that you can re-establish harmony, that's a hard question. That's not a question that we get at with, uh, oh, we just, it's all flowers and light and we'll all be hippies in the, in the forest together. Uh, no, you, you need a better answer. So uh, there's a lot of good answers in what we're coming to. Okay, so it's still a teaser. The, the second thing that I wanted to, to point out is that, again, it's a two-part question. One, the topic of this poem is fear. And two, you mm -hmm. start off the poem or the, the translation, refactoring, by mentioning nature. And it doesn't appear anymore in any mm -hmm. of, the, of the remaining of the poem. Well, a lot of the stuff about nature is in part one. Because here, to an extent, we're talking about leadership throughout this to the point that I, I actually retitled part three, leadership rather than ecosystem. Because whether this is leadership that people are providing each other as a service, or whether it's leadership that is imposed, the idea of the Tao as advice to a ruler is kind of baked into a lot of the translations. And, uh, and I mean, the Chinese translations of whatever came before as well. So the intent in splitting this part out was to say, well, let's gather that together so that the rest of the poem can then be more oriented towards nature and flow and so on, as we're going to see in the uh, next session when we start talking about chapter four. Okay, and um, something about the pessimism of this poem. Like it, it, given the title of the poem, it seems like the default state we fall into is fear. Well... Um, I think that um, the default state we can fall into may be harmony as well. It really depends on the context. Uh, and you may have in some parts of your life uh, the default state being fear and others harmony. And that's often the paradox of, of, of being a human. When fear dominates, we get into a situation where violence is everywhere. You're in a war or a war zone. And it's very difficult to find people that um, uh, will treat you fairly, much less treat you with, with trust, and much less uh, establish a, a harmonious state of, of being. 
there's a game theoretic aspect to this that we go into in some depth when we're um, talking in X scale context, where the rules of the game generate the behavior of the players. So the default state is often determined by the rules of the game. If you think about Monopoly as a game, for example, that's a game where the default state is fear. You're afraid you're going to go broke and you can't establish harmony in a monopoly. It's not possible to get to a, a circumstance where there's anything but some single person holding the, owning the whole board. But then there are games like Go, where Go punishes you if you behave too passively or too aggressively and seeking a harmonious board state, a harmonious relationship with the other player is the only way that you're going to be able to win the game. And if you look at the best games, they are won by a half a point. So does it really matter which player gets the half a point? If you are skilled enough to lose by half a point, you have still created a very beautiful game of Go. Would you begrudge the other player a half a point? So already we have two references we have to put in the index of this uh, episode, which is the Hodnashoni. The Hodnashoni. Yes, uh, the the great law of peace. Yes, we will need to to give a link. There's a lot of material about them out there, and we uh, we talk about them extensively in uh, the Excel Business Agility course. Yeah, and the second one is about uh, Go. So you, I, I hope you provide this link, sure. So so we can uh, enrich our our, uh, our listeners. Sure. And uh, another point I wanted to to talk about before we. As usual, I'll close it and I ask the question I like to ask so much mm-hmm. is um, you talked about small teams and you mentioned a few times small teams. Well, for me, it's relevant in a big organization. Like in a big organization, fear is much harder. Yes. Okay, well, perhaps we'll talk about how we deal with fear. But a mindset of an organization is much harder to tweak. And is more important as well. An optimistic and flowing team can function in a, in a dysfunctioning and fear-infested organization. No, it can't. You're exactly right. Yes. Uh, once bureaucracy takes control, it's very difficult for a team to do anything that's going to generate a good outcome. So how we go about transforming bureaucratic organizations into uh, harmonious ones is a process we call descaling. The idea being that small teams can be a basis for all of the functions of an organization. Keeping them aligned then becomes the challenge. And there are some very simple and well-proven ways to go about doing that, but you cannot take either the protocols of a small autonomous team a self-organizing team, or the alignment protocols that you would need to avoid a bureaucracy that harnesses them. You can't take those into a, a bureaucratic organization and push them. You have to do something else. You have to uh, start effectively the seed of a new organization. And you have to do this very intentionally. You have to have executive support to do it. And this is what we talk about, a, a pull based transformation or a self-propagating transformation. And the lovely thing about doing things that way is that um, you don't need to fight the bureaucracy. You don't need to get permission 
you don't need to worry about the impedance mismatch between your free-flowing agile team and the big command and control hierarchy that sits on top of it. Instead, you can worry about generating good outcomes for a, a coherent business stream in the small and then growing that capability. And we'll see uh, that idea reflected in several chapters to come, but in particular, chapter 46. Okay. Um, I think the time has come for us to hear the poem again. Okay. Chapter 45. So clear your foot, clear your mind. Oh, man, I was rolling. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Chapter 45. Fear. Disrupt nature and harmony remains. Lose harmony and trust remains. Break trust and justice remains. Corrupt justice and fear remains. Harmony doesn't inspire fear, but those without it do. It doesn't serve or compromise itself, but those without it will. As trust serves harmony without compromise, justice compromises it to serve it, and fear compromises it to serve itself. Beautiful. And um, I'll finish off with a question that I adore asking. Where's the practical aspect? So again, someone just heard our podcast. He really liked this poem and he or she would love to apply it in their daily work today because they're on the way to work. So what do they do differently? Let, 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 you know what? I'll give, I'll, give, I'll give a role to this one. Yeah. It's the CEO okay. of a medium-sized company. So... The idea of serving harmony, we talk about executive support. Uh, someone in that position will go, okay, well, great, I just have to provide support. Uh, I'll talk about how I want my company to be harmonious. I'll, I'll paint a beautiful picture. I'll give them a vision. And I will tell them that I'm going to reward them for establishing this wonderful state where morale is high and productivity is high and, and we're, we're, we're doing the right work on the right things the right way. That's not enough to get that outcome. Uh, in fact, if you try to achieve that by telling people to do it, you will often wind up with the opposite occurring. And I think we've all experienced rah-rah uh, uh, meetings that uh, C-suite members love to give. This is oh, going to be the best thing you watch. It's going to be fantastic. And then when it doesn't turn up, then people become very skeptical about whatever that person may have to say next. And they become bitter. They feel like, you know, the, this company is it's a rotten company. It's failed me. I, I really wanted it to be fantastic. And I gave them every chance. And now we have to live this horrible, grimy, fear-oriented existence. It's not my fault. So if we take a step away from uh, that idea of serving harmony and think instead about how we're going to establish 
trust, what the rules of the game are that would generate trust, how we can work with the game theoretics. That's very different to this. So I think that's that's basically the idea, is um, if we're going to, to build trust, then we need to go about it in some way that isn't about serving the ideal or the outcome, but giving people a way to trust each other. We have that nice um, uh, chapter we had a couple of, in the same section as this, uh, a couple of uh, sessions ago, where we wound up with make it easy to take it easy. That's close to this. Thank you very much for this uh, episode. And yeah, and, and uh, I can't say goodbye without thanking the musicians who gave us the music and uh, asking for feedback and to hear from our listeners what you make out of all this. Does it help you in your agile journey or life journey? Does it intrigue you? What, what questions do, do you have? I, for one, would love to hear them and I'm sure Peter will as well. Take care and see you next time. Bye-bye.